Oh, when I was 17 years old, and I've shared this story a little bit before, but it was a fall day um, back in 1979-80. And my friend Patty had moved away from the apartment complex we grew up. And she came back, started hanging around again. I had known her since she was like 11 maybe 10, 10, 11 years old, maybe even earlier. She grew up in the apartments kind of with us, and then she moved on, and then she started coming back and hanging out. And, you know, it was nice to have her back, and she was a little different. Um, her attitude was a little different. Her demeanor was a little different. And I remember um, standing, we had these four apartment complexes, almost like big squares. And in one of the apartment complexes to the right, the apartments came in like this, and on the outside there was a grass area and some, some bushes. And we'd stand in there and we'd kind of hang out, especially when it was a little colder. We'd hang out in there. And I remember standing her, there with her, and she started talking about God. Now, where I grew up in the apartment complex in New York where I grew up, we, didn't, we never talked about God. I don't think everyone mentioned the name Jesus unless they were cursing or God, unless they were, you know, oh my God or something like that, cursing in that way. But we never talked about God, and here's this girl who I've grown up with, she starts talking about God, and it was, it was kind of weird to me, you know? I didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't offensive, it was just different, because she, she was very excited about it. But what, what has always struck me as I've gotten older in my faith was that she had no idea what she was talking about. I mean, I'm sorry, her theology was completely off, all right? Uh, she was new in her faith, and she was trying so desperately to tell me about God and about Jesus, and she was talking about how God was like the flowers, and God was like the tree, and it was all this pantheistic kind of talk and everything, you know, and, uh, but, but theologically, she was completely off, but in her heart, that desire for me to know more about God, her, that desire to kind of tell us about God, was there. And it had a profound impact, obviously, because I'm standing here, even though she had no idea what she was talking about. In John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46, it says, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him they say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and, I, and, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. After, uh, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, 
said Philip. So John records the calling of some of Jesus' first disciples. And I want you to, I want you to see the sequence here. Okay, the sequence. So Jesus called John and John followed Jesus. And then John reached out to Andrew and then Andrew followed Jesus. And then Andrew reached out to Peter and Peter followed Jesus. And then Jesus reached out to Philip. He called Philip and Philip followed Jesus. And then Philip reached out to Nathaniel and Nathaniel followed Jesus. Okay, so you have this, this everyone's reaching one, right? So they were reached one by one. Each of these people, you know, you know, Andrew, obviously, the first thing he did, he got excited and like my friend Patty, and he wanted to tell people that was that were important to him. And first, most important person was his brother, Peter. So he went to Peter and told Peter, right, Philip, Christ said, come follow me. Philip goes, finds Nathaniel. Hey, we found him. We found him. He's running and telling me one person reaching another person from these men. Okay, the word of God was spread and the gospel was literally spread throughout the world. Each one of them continued to reach another person. So he reached out to him. God, Jesus called this person who reached out to that person, who reached out to this person, who reached out to that person. One by one, they were being reached. You know, I think we often feel like it's the pastor. And, and I think if I actually asked you individually, whose responsibility is it to share the gospel? You'd say, well, it's all our responsibility. But in the modern church, we pay people to do our job for us. And so some people think it's the pastor's responsibility or at least it's the elders of the church responsibility or the staff of the church responsibility to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people, to share the gospel, if you will. But that's not at all, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Pastors, elders, if you will, are called to teach all of you who then go out and share the gospel. Now, obviously, it's my job as well, or it's other pastors' job as well, and staff and the elders. We're, we're responsible as the leaders of the church to, to share the gospel, but our, our real responsibility is to invest in your lives to teach you so that you go out and reach others. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it kind of commands it. It says, therefore, oh, actually in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So my job is to equip you for works of service, whatever that may be, whatever God is calling you to do. But the Bible is absolutely clear in no uncertain terms. We are all commanded, commanded to go out. Like we said last week, it's a command that God says you need to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. It's not a suggestion. It's a command to defend the defenseless. Okay? No one gets a pass on that one. Well, for absolutely sure, no one gets a pass on this one. In Matthew 25, 19, it commands us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to go to the people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our nation and around the world and share the love of Jesus Christ with as many people as we possibly can. And it's amazing, this whole idea of each one reach one. 
when you build relationships with people, when you have relationships with people, you can have a profound impact on their lives. A profound impact on their lives. Let me give you a few examples. Jethro and, and his impact on Moses. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. Jethro had a profound impact on the life of Moses. Joseph and his impact on Pharaoh, right? Jonathan and his impact on David. Paul and his impact on Timothy. Elijah and his impact on Elisha. I mean, you have all these, you have this example after example after example. We, remember we talked about Daniel? Think about the impact that Daniel had on so many. Daniel's impact on King Darius. I mean, Daniel's impact on kingdoms. But it wasn't just he went around and got in, in, in one place and had everyone gather around. He hit individuals. He went to individuals. And, he, and because of the way he lived his life and the way he spoke about God, he profoundly impacted so many lives. And it goes the other way as well. You think about this. Delilah and her impact on Samson, right? It doesn't just go, the bridge goes both ways. We can have a profound impact on people for good, but we can also, we, as the body of Christ, can also have a profound impact on people which is sometimes not so good. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what impact do we what impact do I have on my family? What impact do I have on the people around me? What impact do I have on people in the community? What impact do I have on my friends? We all I think we all need to ask that question. Where are we leading people? Do you lead people closer to Jesus Christ, into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, or do you lead them further away by your life choices? Think about that. Especially if you're younger. If you're younger, this, is, this pertains to you. The choices that you make, you say when you were five, six, seven, eight years old, you gave your life to Jesus Christ. So if I asked you, are you a Christian? You would say, yes, I'm a Christian. So the question would be, then are you leading people, your friends in school, the people around you on your team, are you leading them closer to Christ by your behavior and your words, or are you leading them further away from God? See, Matthew 18.6 warns us. It says this, if anyone causes one, and we think of little children and like people, men who go and walk around in alleyways and look for... That's not what this passage is talking about. Listen to what it says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, broad, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be thrown and drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, I I think that sums up how God feels about when we lead people away from him. Little, taller, six foot seven people. If you lead that person away from Christ, God is not happy about it. Jesus gives us a profound warning. We are to lead people into a closer relationship with him. Each of us has an absolutely vital role to play in God's vision for the local church and for the church as a whole. 
Every single person hearing my voice, you have a profound impact. You can have a profound impact on the, on the, on the body of Christ. We all play, every single one of us have been created by God, and we all play a, 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 a significant role in God's plan for reaching this world. We are, we, 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 you've heard this before, read a book, or you hear, you know, you go online or whatever else, listen to sermons. We are his hands and feet. There are songs that talk about it. We are his, his hands and his feet. He chooses, think about this, God chooses to work through us. He chose to work through my friend Patty, who I, I still know, love dearly. And if she ever hears this, I'm not criticizing you. I love you to death. You just didn't know your theology back in 1979. <laughs> but we all have a profound, we can have a profound impact in the lives of the people around us. God has chosen to, to make us his hands and his feet. To, 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 to draw people to himself through our example. We were created, we were designed, if you will, to to impact the lives of others, to, to build the kingdom of God for good. That's why God designed and created us, so that we could build his kingdom for good. We can impact the lives of others for good. We are personally responsible. So we need to, to do everything in our power to lead people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How we live. People say, well, I don't, ever, I don't have to say it. I just live my life that way. That's awesome. You, that's so important that you do that, right? That you live your life in such a way that people are drawn to you. But once they're drawn to you, you can't wait for someone else to come along and share with them. We need to know enough for we can share the love of Jesus Christ with others. I think the reason that we don't do that sometimes in this culture, especially because we, we kind of feel intimidated. How, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? And so we let our intimidation overrule God's command that we should love people. We should love people more than our own feelings. We should love people more than our fear of what someone might think. We need to do everything in our power to lead people closer to Jesus Christ. Remember, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul starts, he's talking about like leading people to himself and follow my example of I, as I follow the example of Christ, right? And he said, to the, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those without the law, I become like one without the law as to win them. And he goes through and in verse 22, he says, to the weak, I become like the weak to win the weak. And then he says, I have become all things to all people by all possible means I might save some. By all possible means. If I have to become weak to win the weak, then I'll become weak. If I have to, if I have to, he's not compromising. He's just saying, if I'm around the Jews, I want to, I want to be able to speak on their level. I want them to understand me. So when I'm with the Jews, I become like a Jew. When I'm talking to Romans, I'll become, I'll, I'll speak in there, I'll speak their language. He was a Roman citizen. So when he was chained to people, he spoke their language. When he was in prison, he would speak people's languages by all possible means. He wants to save some. See, we need to remember what God did for us. I was reminiscing, and I remember it was the fall, and I'm just thinking to myself, thank God that my friend Patty, who didn't know very much because she was so young in her faith at that point, but she, she knew enough, she loved me enough. That's what it really boils down to. 
She loved me enough and she loved the people that were standing there enough to take a chance. And you have to understand who she's talking to. You, you see me now, okay, and you think, well, yeah, you know, Jeff's a nice guy and blah, blah, blah. I wasn't, a, I mean, I love, my, I love the people around me, you know, right in my little circle. But, man, I, I, I'm not the person you see up here this morning. I mean, this was, and, and the people that I hung around with, to be honest with you, they were worse than I was. They weren't, like, I wasn't the worst of them. Matter of fact, if you go back and ask them, they'll say, yeah, Jeff was, you know, he was on this end. I mean, they were worse. And now she's standing there with people older, like five or six years older than us, some who are younger, and she's trying to share this, this, this whole God thing. She, but she loved us more than she was concerned about herself and what we might think of her. And we all thought she was wacky. I mean, I think I told you this before. I got with my friend afterward and said, hey, we got to go to church here because she's in a cult and we need to save her. She's too happy. Okay. <laughs> just, something's wrong with Patty. You know what I mean? We got to figure this out. We got to go to this church and then point out where these people are all messed up and we got to get her out of this craziness that she's involved in. Paul said to the weak, I become like the weak. We need to do everything by all possible means. Lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was talking to Pastor David before the service started. We were talking about how I think in, in Christianity, we've lost this. I mean, when I got saved, you, so some of you can understand this. Go back a few years. It was about being holy. I mean, that, you wanted to become like Christ. And that's what was important. And, and the other thing that was really important is how do I live in such a way that I can lead other people to Christ? And I think we've lost that along the way in all the programming and all the stardom of Christianity. And I mean that. You know, Ravi Zacharias said, Christian um, celebrity is an oxymoron. And the reason he said that is because, you know, nowadays everybody wants to be like famous um, you know who was famous back when Jesus was around and right after Jesus died? And who the famous people were? The martyrs. They all died. That's how you got famous in Christianity, because you were a martyr. And I think we've lost something along the way, this, this idea that the most important thing is to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people and to live in such a way that your life reflects Jesus' life and that people are drawn and, and desire that. We need to remember what Christ did for us, like what, what, what he did for me. I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, that when I got saved, he not only saved me spiritually, he saved my life. The direction I was going, and I'm not trying to oh, look at my testimony and I was going to be in jail. And all. I mean, statistically, that's, the only person worse off than me statistically was someone who was living with their mom and their mom didn't work. But my mom did work. But statistically, I was, a, I was kind of a goner at that time. And then God came and he saved me spiritually, which is most important. But I'm being honest with you. He saved my life. I owe him it. Everything, everything. I went from darkness to light. I went from my philosophy of being, I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. That's the way I thought when I was 17 years old. And it was based upon the life that I had lived up to that point to 
to bowing my head before my Lord and raising, when I, when I raised my head, I realized that people behave the way they behave because they're sinful and they need Jesus Christ. And once they have Christ in their hearts and they grow, that the, the old has gone, the new has come. And I wanted to be a part of that. That made sense to me. The idea that people are good at heart and read deep down, that never, that never flowed with me. I never bought into that because I lived in the real world. But the idea that people have a sinful nature and they need Christ, that worldview makes sense. The other is mumbo-jumbo and doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So I remember, and we need, you all need to remember what Christ has done for you and then realize Christ loves the people around you as well. And we also need to realize that we need to care more about the people around us and where they're going to spend eternity than we do about, our, like I said, our own feelings and what people might think of us. I want you to, I mean, you have to stop, sometimes close your eyes and think about heaven and think about hell. And then think about hell and think of the people you care about around you and care more about where they're going to spend eternity than you do about how you feel. Or your fear, overcome your fear because their life depends on it. Their absolute life depends on it. In James 5, verse 20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. All that God has done for us, he wants to do for others. All that he did for you, as difficult as this life is, anybody who told you when you became a Christian, it's all going to be, you know, Jen said it. When you pick a fight with the enemy, the enemy picks a fight back. All right? And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging sometimes. Some of you came to Christ and your life is harder now than when you weren't a Christian. But we need to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Saving us from our sin. Helping turn us from darkness. Some of you have some testimonies where you're in total darkness and you were brought from darkness to light. Where you were, where you were caught in a web of total destruction for your life. Whether it was drugs or alcohol or relationship issues or whatever it was. And God rescued you from all of that. He's given, he's restored your marriage. He's restored your health. He's restored. He's done, but God wants to do those same things for other people. We need to remember what he did for us. And remember he wants to do it for others. And that he wants to use you. He wants to use you. And, and, and all of a sudden, when I say that, you're thinking, he's not talking to me. He's talking to the person next to me. I'm talking to you. I wish I could look all of you right in the eye. I'm talking right to you. He wants to use you. And one of the best ways to reach people is to, like I said earlier, to live like Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Study the life of Christ and try to be like him. We need to, if we're going to reach our community with the gospel, we need to set an example. We need to try to live like Jesus did and set an example by our own lives. We need to try to engage people in conversation, letting them know how God has changed our life and and what God is doing uh, throughout our church even, in our community. We need to let them see that we're living out our faith. We talked about it the last couple weeks. A great way to get a conversation started is to say, you know, our church is, you know, you can get into this conversation. Our church is looking to buy a a house that we can renovate and we're going to use it for aging out foster care. We're going to use it for phase four women and women in trafficking. We're going to, we're going to use it for this and things we're doing in Nigeria where we built an economic zone. We've created all these jobs for people and we're helping widows and we're helping orphans and people like to talk about those things and, and from those examples, you can start weaving in other conversations 
conversation and ultimately try to share the gospel with them. Why are you doing this? Why is your church engaged in these things? Because of what Christ has done in our lives, and we want to see that happen in other people's lives as well. We, 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 when we live out our faith, if you live out your faith, it's so much easier to share your faith because it's not awkward. Sometimes you think, oh, walk up to someone in 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 an elevator and have my elevator speech ready. Well, you know, that does happen, okay? It does happen. And and if it does happen, take advantage of the opportunity. But usually when you're living out your faith, it's more natural to share your faith because you're talking about what God has done in your life. You're talking about what God is doing through your church. You're talking about what God is doing around the world, all these things. And it's a natural avenue for you to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. And here, again, I'm coming back to my friend Patty and the disciples. The days of crowding non-Christians, inviting them to a big giant stadium and listening to Billy Graham, who is one of the most profound speakers. If you listen to Billy Graham, he, he doesn't say anything like you haven't heard before almost, but he, he is so anointed that the, when he preaches the gospel, it just draws you in. Even if you're a believer and you hear him on the radio or something when it, years and years ago, he would just draw you in with the gospel. But the days of putting 50,000 people in Yankee Stadium or some big stadium around the country, those days are pretty much over. Most people are reached as you and I relationally reach out to them like the disciples where one person is sharing their faith with another person, one individual. If you think about my friend Patty, for example, she didn't actually pray with me to receive Christ, but she set the foundation so that I would be on a retreat at one point and I was connected with the youth pastor and he was, share, he was sharing the gospel with me and he was coming alongside me and being a strong male figure in my life and answering my, my questions. For goodness sake, I was just unloading on him question after question. But because she had the courage to reach out to me, just think in your mind how many lives, and this is not at all bragging, it's just, I'm you know, 55 years old, how many people in the church sitting here have I led to Christ? How many people have I led to Christ as a youth pastor? How many people have I had to share, I shared Christ with in my office and have raised their hands here in the service and then you've reached out and shared? I mean, think about the impact that that one person with theology that wasn't so great (laughs) think about the impact that they've made on people's lives you know and and like my friend patty like i said you don't need to be this is where i think we make a mistake you don't need to be a great theologian you don't need to be some dynamic speaker you don't need to be you don't have to have your apologetics all down in order to impact lives in order to build the kingdom of god i was reading a story about robert eaglin um and the story goes that Robert Eaglin was, um, he was a, a, a deacon in his church in England back in 1830s. And uh, one morning he uh, woke up and, and, uh, it was, and it was snowing and he looked out the window and it snowed over a foot that morning, that night. So he looks out the window. It's a Sunday morning. You know, he wants to go to church, looks out the window, rolls on his bed and goes, wow, it's like a foot of snow. Not going to happen. And as he was rolling over to go back to sleep, he said to himself, I'm a deacon in the church. And if I don't go, who's going to go? Who else would go? 
So he got out of bed. He, you know, he put his shoes on, his boots on. He put his coat on. He put his hat on. And he walked, okay, he walked six miles to church in the snow. It's one of those things when your, your grandpa, your father tell you, well, when I was growing up, we used to walk to school six miles uphill naked, you know what I mean, in the snow kind of thing. In order to get, and you're like, you know, wow, you're amazing. Um, backward uphill. And, and this is what he walked six miles in over a foot of snow to get to church. And when he got to church, he was right. There was only 13 people who made it to church. 13 people. 12 of them he knew they were members of the church, probably lived a little closer by. And then one 13-year-old boy that he had never seen before. And one of the things that happened, the pastor didn't even show up. So the pastor got snowed in. He didn't show up. So here they are. And somebody said, you know, the, the 13 people, someone said, let's just sing a few songs and let's go back home. And so Robert said, well, you know, we're here. It'd be kind of foolish not to take advantage of the fact that we're here and have a worship service. Well, someone said, the preacher's not here. So we're, we're done. If the preacher's not here, who's going to preach? And uh, when they said, who's going to preach? Robert impulsively said, I am. So now Robert had never preached before. All right. He had never preached before. He had not been. He's not a trained pastor. But Robert said, I am. And basically he got up there and he can picture this. Okay, as you walk, I pick one of you and you have no idea what you're going to say as you're walking up. No idea. Right. So that's that's where Robert is. And he figures, you know, he didn't want to go home. He figured we're here for a reason. So he's going to preach all he all he knew. Robert knew that was that someone needed to preach. It might as well be him. He felt called to do it. So he did it. And I'm going to I'm going to uh, read you a couple things here. It says it basically in his quiet time the day before he was reading the book of Isaiah. So when he got up there, he pulled out the book of Isaiah and went to chapter 45 and verse 22. And it says this. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And then it goes, it says this later, he recalled, I preached, I love this, I preached maybe 12 minutes. He preached 12 minutes. I must have said, look to Jesus over 50 times. Okay, so he's preaching for about 12 minutes. He reads that passage and he says over and over and over again, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. That's all he knew to say was look to Jesus. And then finally, he looks at this 13 year old boy he'd never seen before. And he says, young man, if you look to Jesus, you'll be saved. And that was the end of his sermon. So look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. I'm sure he probably stood behind the pulpit with his hands like this. Maybe his knees were knocking a little bit. He read that and said, look to Jesus for 12 minutes. That's pretty much probably a little few words in between, but look to Jesus. I'm going to read you something. That boy, years later, wrote these words. I did look. And then and there, the cloud on my heart lifted the darkness rolled away. Some of you can just relate to this. At that moment, I saw the sun. I accepted Christ into my heart. I was born again. Isn't that cool? You know who that 13-year-old boy was? You know that? Charles Spurgeon. Now, some of you, Charles Spurgeon, who's that? Go look it up. Okay. Most of you know who Charles Spurgeon is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That was the 13-year-old boy. My friend Patty had no idea what she was really talking about when she was sharing her faith. 
Robert, this guy Robert, had really no idea what he was going to say when he got up there. He wasn't trained as a pastor. He really didn't have the ability to speak in front of other people. He just got up there and he shared what was on his heart. I'm going to tell you something. That sermon was probably, wasn't creative. He didn't have cool illustrations to, to boggle people's minds. He probably, he didn't use his hands like I use my hands and walk back and forth, right? Because I'm comfortable. I do this. This is what I do. He probably stood there. He wasn't creative. He wasn't powerful. He didn't use any illustrations. He just did what he knew to do. That's all he could do. But he was, he was, he was filled with the Spirit, and he was willing to share what he knew. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, okay, in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be overly knowledgeable. I was studying, I was studying this story. I like to go back and study stories, even though I've, I've heard them before. So I went back and studied the story, and I found this quote by Spurgeon. This is Spurgeon, okay? This is him writing years later. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was... And I don't think he means stupid the way we would say people are stupid. You know what I mean? I think he's just in, in, you know, back when he was just laying out, the guy didn't really know what the heck he was talking about. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was Isaiah 45:22. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. You know, we just love to hold these people up, all these, all these, these great speakers. No, I, this, my, I have to listen to this guy's podcast and blah, blah, blah. You know who profoundly shaped this world and Christianity? You know, you know, you know who it was? Simple folks. It was simple. The disciples were, for the most part, simple folks from the marketplace, like most of you, Right? People who've led, you go back and look who led this person to Christ, who led this person to Christ, who led this person to Christ, and it's usually a shoemaker or a tailor or a guy who, you know, is in a machine shop or something like that who had the courage to speak to this person and then spoke to this person, and now we have. It's absolutely amazing. Thank God. Thank God that he shared, that Robert shared what he knew. And because God allowed him to share what he knew, God blessed him. God blessed him. And Charles Spurgeon, he needed to hear that truth that morning. Spurgeon, 13 years old, a foot of snow. Why did he go there that morning? I don't, I don't know. Why did he go there? He was, he was drawn. God was calling him. And so he went there expecting to probably hear a message that was more motivational and that was inspiring and that really, you know, you walk out, man, that was a good joke. And wow, what a great illustration. I'm going to put that little trinket on my, my, my thing over here to remind me. He didn't have any of that. But you know what he had? He had obedience. He followed the Holy Spirit. He had the courage to get up while he's walking up to here, to not knowing what he's going to say, to say something, not realizing who he was actually talking to, someone who, would, who needed to hear the truth, and it profoundly changed his life. God has used Spurgeon to change millions of lives 
throughout the, throughout the years. And even today, people are still reading what he wrote. He still inspires people. Robert was open to the leading of the Spirit of God, and he had a willingness to share what he knew, what he knew, which was very little, which was so little. So little. But God used it in a profound way. That's all we need to do, guys. That is all we need to do. Share what we know. Over the past few weeks, you've heard me talk about, you know, orphans and widows with, with passion. And even last week, I just, in both services, especially first service, the, the thought of what they go through, I don't care if I say it a million times. It, it breaks my heart. It makes me cry sometimes. I get choked up when I, when I even talk about it. But let me explain something to you. I mean this with all my heart. As much as I love to physically help orphans and widows, there's nothing that gives me more joy and gets me more excited, pumped up, exhilarated than leading someone to Jesus Christ. And the reason that I'm so passionate about reaching out to orphans and widows is because ultimately I want to be able to have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. They've been through such misery in their lives. I want to help them in this world and do what God has called me to do in this world, but I want to make sure they get to the next. I want to make sure that, that they have an opportunity to hear the love of Jesus Christ. Some of the kids that we reach out to and we, we, when we have child sponsorships, these kids are from all over and they come into the program sometimes. They don't know the Lord. And the kid that I sponsor, Barnabas, when I first started writing to him, he really wasn't writing much about the God or anything else. And, and all of a sudden, his writing started to change. And, and he started to encourage me and God bless you and, and talk about the Lord and talk about Jesus. And God has transformed his life in so many ways. And I can be a part of that. But because we reached out and met his felt needs, he was able to also hear the gospel and his spiritual needs were met as well. There's nothing greater. If you have not experienced this, I I beg you, I plead with you, I encourage you, any words I can use. If you have never led someone to Christ, you're missing out on the greatest joy in Christianity. When you lead someone to Christ, it does something, obviously does something tremendous for them. But I'm going to tell you something. It is supernatural what it does for you. It is absolutely beyond whatever anything else you can possibly do in this world. It is supernatural the way it changes your life. So how then, very quick, I'm going to walk through this. How then do we reach out to those around us? And I'm not going to get into great detail because Pastor David's going to kind of elaborate on this in a couple of weeks. But how, how do we do that? What's, what's, one, what's some ways that we can do that? First, here's the thing. You need to be a willing vessel. You need to let God use you. You need to say, you need to open yourself like a vessel and say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me to reach other people. Ask God, ask him to use you. Ask him. And that's a scary thing because if you ask, you're going to receive in this one. Okay? But ask him to use you. Next, we need to understand what we're sharing. Right? And, and I... It, you say, what? Well, you're going to waste your time doing this? I am going to waste my time because I don't think people totally understand what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. People, everyone born into this world is born into sin. They're sinners. And they need to be saved by God's grace 
through Jesus Christ because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People are separated from God because of sin and they need to be brought, brought back into a relationship with God the Father. God the Father has remedied that situation by sending his son into the world to die on a cross and be raised on the third day and then we will come to know him as, with our, as our Lord and Savior. But Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do people need to do? In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. This isn't rocket science. This is simple. You know John 3.16, most of you, right? For God so loved the world. He loves the world. He loves you. He loves your neighbors. He loves your friends. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. One of the best ways to share the good news. Okay, one of the, one of the best ways is to earn the right to be heard. Let... Let people see you living it out. Like I said earlier, let them, let them see you truly living it out in your life. Let people, let people see God working through you. Let people see God working through the church. Let me give you a couple examples of this. When people, we, we, what we want to do is we want to be able to share the gospel with everyone we possibly can. Let me give you a, a couple illustrations of, of how we can do this. You know, the last couple weeks I've been talking about, I said, what's the difference between a sluggard and someone who is poor, a poor person? And we see what we talked about. I'm not going to talk about it again, but there's a difference between a sluggard and a poor person. How do you know, for example, the, home, the homeless person that you're talking to and who holds out that cup to you and wants money from you, how do you know they're not a sluggard as opposed to a poor person? You know how you can know? Get to know them. Don't just give them your money. Give them your time. Share, get to know them, build a relationship with them. Remember the disciples, remember my friend Patty. Oh, this is all built on relationship. You, do you really want, do you really care about the homeless person? People say, well, you don't give them money, you don't care. You want, you really care about someone that you see maybe every other day or every day or every week, whatever. Get to know them. Go to work early, spend a half hour sitting down with that person, take them out for breakfast or sit and just talk to them about their lives. How did you get in this situation? What are, what are your, what's your future? What would you like to see? Build a relationship with them. Get to know who they are. And then you'll be able to differentiate between a person who's a sluggard, who you, get, who you need to give good advice to, or someone who truly needs your help and wants your help and really wants to get out of the situation they're in. But you need to build that relationship with them so you can share the gospel with them because it is nothing short of the gospel that is going to transform that person's life. The old is gone, the new has come, and then you investing in that person to keep them moving along down that path. Also, you need to build a deeper relationship with your friends and your, and your, co- your neighbors and your co-workers. You need to spend more time building relationship with them so you get to know them so you can pray for their needs. And then as you pray for their needs, you can go back to them and say things like, you know, I remember your, you were saying your uncle or your aunt or your, your mom or your cousin or your wife is going, can you give me an update so I continue to pray? That will blow their minds that you actually remembered and went back and talked to them about it. Relationship. So here's what I want you to do. Bow your heads with me as we close. Bow your heads with me. I want you to start 
as we, this is, this is, here's your homework. What I want you to start doing is praying for the opportunity for God to share his love through you. Pray for the opportunity for God to share his love through you. Ask God to give you just one person that you can share the gospel with through this holiday season. Think about it. We're going to be talking about it more in the next couple of weeks, but just be thinking about that. Or maybe it's you that needs to get their life right with Jesus Christ, with God. Maybe you, who are sitting here this morning, like Charles Spurgeon or me when I was 17 years old, need to confess your sin and give your life to Christ. Maybe, maybe you need to pray and ask Ask Jesus to come into your heart. I've shared why it's so important. This, this life depends on where we spend eternity. The choices that we make here and now. And I shared the gospel with you this morning. Walk through the scriptures. You don't need anything more. You don't need to know any more then you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And if you want that this morning, honestly, if you want that, if you want that relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to be in a right relationship with God, you want to be able to go from darkness to light, you, want, you don't want to walk this life alone any longer, making decisions on your own. You want someone to carry you when necessary through life? You need to give your life to Christ. And if that's what you desire to do, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me this morning. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. Say just, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I, I don't need a pastor or a Bible to tell me that. I've lived my life. I know that I'm not perfect. and I know I'm a sinner. And that sin separates me from you. So I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead to save me from my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. God, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me my purpose. Show me why you created and designed me. And with the little I know right now, Lord, God, I just pray that you would help me grow to become more like you every single day. God, thank you for for pulling on my heart. I want to be a part, not just of someone, a person you've created, but someone you've adopted. I want to be part of your family, not just a part of creation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And with all your heads bowed, if you will, I, I, um, I want you, if you prayed that for the first time, just for the first time, if you prayed that prayer, all I want you to do is lift your hand up very quickly and put it back down. If you prayed it for the first time, amen. Amen. It's awesome.
Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time we can spend together before you in your presence. And God, I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts. Lord, if we have not been living for you, if we've just been going through the motions, if we we don't even think about sharing the gospel with anyone, I pray that you convict our hearts, that you give us courage. You help us overcome our fear and to realize that we can we can have a profound impact on people's lives, even if we just babble through it. It's not our it's not by our words, by our power, by our eloquence, by our by our neat phrases and, and, and great illustrations that people come to you. It's because of your Holy Spirit. So even if we bumble through it, Lord God, let us bumble through it with a good heart with a desire and a love for the people that we're talking to. And then you do your thing. I know for me, Lord, it wasn't Patty's powerful preaching that led me to you. It was, she got me thinking. She got me thinking, and that was dangerous. Because once she got me thinking, your Holy Spirit started getting in there and doing his work. And I thank you for it. Thank you for her and for her courage. Thank you that she was willing to share what little she knew. And thank you for saving me, not just my spiritual life, but my life. I pray that for everyone here who raised their hand this morning, Lord God, that they would remember this is their spiritual birthday. They're born again. The old has gone, the new has come, and we rejoice in that. We love you and praise you for this time we can spend together, because you're awesome, and you're everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love you to go over to Pastor David after the service. He's right. He's sitting right here. And just connect with him. If you feel comfortable or connect with me, it's totally fine. Just let us know so we can get you on the right path.